All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you all and just glad to say you all got a gold star for being here this morning and braving the elements. And, you know, I think it's very encouraging that we have an event coming up at church soon that has the word spring in it because it means, I mean, that has to happen at some point, right? But so good to worship with you this morning as a church family. Have you noticed how recently it seems like there's a superhero movie coming out every week? Am I the only one who's noticed that? I mean, I was reading this week actually that this year, 2019, will have more superhero movies come out than any other year before. In fact, there's the new Marvel movie that just came out this weekend and then another Marvel movie coming out in one month. And so there are all of these different superhero movies, and they somehow, you know, just kind of are attractive to our sense of adventure and, and storytelling, and there's many great elements to these types of movies. And it, it got me thinking, you know, what makes a great superhero? You know, what makes a superhero especially compelling? I think, well, of course, the easy answer is it's their superpower, Right? I mean, the better the superpower, the more compelling the character. And so I made a list, and my son will probably correct this and say I have it all wrong, but I'll try. Captain America has super strength, and he's got that cool shield that he carries with him. Iron Man has a suit of high-tech armor. Wolverine has the ability to heal from any wound. Spider-Man has his spider senses and is able to shoot webs. Superman can fly, he's got x-ray vision, superhero strength, and the list goes on and on. You see, it's, it's the superpowers that are especially compelling about superheroes. But here's the thing, church, what if I were to tell you today that God has called you to be a superhero? And not only that, in order to be a superhero, God has blessed you, he has given you spiritual gifts to be your superpowers as you live out your calling to be a superhero for him. Now, you might be saying, well, this guy has obviously watched way too many superhero movies at this point. So I want to draw your attention to a scripture passage that has stuck with me ever since I first read it. Because when you read this passage, I think it should really blow our minds. And it should really get us to dig in and wonder how in the world is this even possible? So it's a passage that comes in John chapter 14. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking to all who will follow him in the decades and the centuries ahead. So here's what Jesus has to say. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works. If you have a Bible, you can write in, I would circle the word same Anyone who believes in Jesus will do the same works that he's done. But then it goes on and he says, and even greater works. And I'd circle greater because this is getting unbelievable. And he says, because I am going to be with the Father. So let me get this straight for a moment. I mean, let's just start thinking of all the things that Jesus did during his ministry. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He did all sorts of different miracles. He ministered to people. He walked with people through the most difficult times in their life. And now he's saying to us, 
you will do the same works. And not only that, in some ways, you will do even greater works than I did. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how do you feel when you hear those words? I mean, maybe it's skepticism. Like, I mean, maybe he's overselling it a bit. Maybe it's fear. I mean, like, I wouldn't even know what to do if I were put into those situations. And yet he's saying, I'm going to do the same or greater things. I mean, scary. Maybe you feel inadequate. Like, okay, you know, I believe Jesus' words, but I definitely do not have the skills and abilities to do what he did. We see the truth is, and it's really the theme of the series that we're in, God created you on purpose for a purpose. No matter who you are today, he wants you to know that he created you on purpose for a purpose. There's no accident that you're here. It's no mistake that you are who you are. God created you on purpose for a purpose. You're an original. We heard last week that each one of us is created to be a masterpiece. But if we don't live out our purpose that God has put before us, well, then something isn't being done in the kingdom. If we don't live out our purpose, no one else will. And that's a tragedy. And so each one of us has been uniquely shaped by God. Each one of us has been wired up in just the right way so that we can accomplish the purpose that God has for us. And so during this series, we're going to use an acronym called SHAPE. And it's something that was developed by Saddleback Church out in California. And I understand last week, Pastor Jason, you know, shared his thoughts and feelings about acronyms. And all I can say to that is T-O-U-G-H. <laughs> Just kidding. Love you, buddy. <laughs> but what SHAPE stands for are five different ways that God wires us up to accomplish our purpose. The S stands for spiritual gifts. It's what God has gifted us uniquely to do. Our heart, it's what we are wired up to be passionate about. We're not all passionate about the same things, and that's a good thing. But we are wired up to have a heart for people, to be passionate about some cause or something happening in the world. The A stands for abilities. These are those things that we are naturally good at, the things we are naturally talented in. The P stands for personality. It's how we do what God calls us to do. It's how we interact in our relationships, and it's also how we approach new opportunities that come our way. And then the E stands for experiences. These are the lessons that we learned yesterday that help prepare us for tomorrow. You know, sometimes we go through some really difficult seasons, but we see later on how God is able to use those experiences to minister to others or to come alongside others. And so we take these five things together and it, it helps explain how we have been shaped by God, how we are to live out our purpose on earth. And so that's what we're covering in this series. And so today I wanna to start with the very first one and talk with you about spiritual gifts. But before we jump into that, we need to remember what happens when we become a Christian. 
When we become a Christian, we are no longer defined by our brokenness or our sin or our limited resources. When we put our faith in Christ, everything changes and we are made a new creation. And suddenly we have forgiveness and we have mercy and we have access to all of his unlimited resources and power. We become defined wholly by Christ and who he is. Now when we trust Jesus, we are also given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. In fact, the Bible says the only way someone can can confess that Jesus is Lord is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as believers in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, which makes us God's temple. Now, the Bible talks often about the temple of God, and the temple of God is always where God is present, and it's also where people come to experience God's grace and power. So in the Old Testament, the temple is built in Jerusalem, and that's where God takes up residence, and it's where people come to experience him. But in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, suddenly the temple becomes us. God takes up residence within us, and people can experience his presence and his power in and through us. And to help us to live up to that incredible calling, to be God's temple, he gives us spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason this is important is that it's a major step in our faith journey. It's something important for us to consider as we seek to live out our faith. Now, this was so important that Paul stopped in one verse, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. And he wants all of his readers to understand the importance. He says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Like this isn't just something interesting on the side or, you know, if you're kind of curious, look into it. No, he thinks it's important enough to draw all believers' attention to. So today, I want to look with you at one passage that has some powerful words about our spiritual gifts, and it actually comes from the Apostle Peter in his book, 1 Peter, chapter 4, starting with verse 10. And this is what Peter has to say. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Let's just start with that first part. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Every Christian, every member of the body of Christ has at least one gift and maybe more. And notice, you don't get to choose it. It's not like a vending machine. It's not something that you even weigh in on. It's a gift that God has given to you out of his grace. 
And Peter says there is a great variety of these spiritual gifts. It means we're not all the same. We shouldn't all look the same. We shouldn't all operate the same. Instead, out of his great variety, God blesses each one of us so that we can accomplish the purpose that he puts in front of us. But let's pause for a moment. What are spiritual gifts exactly? There's all sorts of different definitions and ideas. Maybe you've read books before. Maybe you've read articles or heard other messages. I think one of the best definitions I've found about what a spiritual gift is comes from Peter Wagner, who's a professor and an author and a theologian. And this is what he has to say. He says, a spiritual gift is a special attribute given by the Holy Spirit to every member of the body of Christ, according to God's grace, for use within the context of the body. I think it's a pretty good definition, but there's a whole lot going on there. And so I want to distill it down maybe a little bit more, something a little more basic. So spiritual gifts are additional power to accomplish the purpose that God has for you. Spiritual gifts are additional power to accomplish the purpose that God has for you. Now, there are some key scripture passages in the Bible about spiritual gifts specifically. They all come from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. Now, we could take all day going through those, but don't worry, we won't. What I want to encourage you to do is go home and do some study on your own. Read through these passages and get a sense for what spiritual gifts are and what they mean for you. Now, in these passages, we start to get a list of some of these giftings that God gives, and we can categorize them in some ways. So there are some gifts that are people gifts, such as leadership and encouragement and hospitality and mercy. And there are some gifts that are service gifts. It's giving and stewardship and serving others, and administration, and helping people. And there are kingdom-building gifts, like evangelism, and teaching, and prayer, and prophecy. And there are sign gifts, like miracles, and discerning spirits, and tongues, and interpretation. And the list goes on. Now, we don't have time again to dive into each and every one of these specific gifts, But what I want to talk about today is why it's important for us to come to understand how God has gifted us. You see, spiritual gifts are not the same as our natural abilities and talents. Spiritual gifts are not the same as the personality that God has wired us up with. But spiritual gifts work with all of those things to make us who we are and to help us determine how God is calling us to minister to others. Really, they all come together to give us each a unique role within the church, a role that can't be filled by anyone else. Now, remember, the body of Christ is like a family. The Holy Spirit brings us unity, 
And if you were with us a couple weeks ago as we were working through Galatians, we looked at the fruits of the Spirit and we talked about how the Holy Spirit gives us a family likeness as we grow in Him. As we grow in faith, we look more and more like Jesus. It's the family likeness. But each member of a family is gifted differently. Right? We know this to be true in our own families. There's no child that's the same as their sibling. Right? Everyone is different. Even identical twins still have differences. Still have ways that they maybe approach life differently. Each child has their own mix of personality and talents and gifts and it makes them unique. Now in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul also uses this image that the, the family of God is like a body, the body of Christ, made up of all different parts. Every one of us represents a different part of the body. See, he says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. And he goes on to say, one part of the body can't cast another out and say, I don't want you, I don't need you. No, we need every part of the body to function the way that God wants us to, to again accomplish the purpose he's put in front of us. Now understand what this means. It means there are no junior varsity and varsity Christians. There are no junior varsity and varsity spiritual gifts. Every one of us is important. All Christians receive the exact same Holy Spirit and he gifts us how he chooses. Now, this also means there is no gift that's a litmus test for who's in and who's out. There's no litmus test for who's a better Christian or who's more committed or who's more spiritual or who's more holy. We need every part of the body working together to accomplish the purpose that God has given us. Now, I want to explain a little bit of how this looks in my life, and maybe it'll help you understand a little bit better how spiritual gifts work. When I was in ninth grade, I found out I needed to take a speech class at Moundsview High School, and I was scared out of my mind. Now, the thing was, I was the only ninth grader in the entire class. All the rest of the class was upperclassmen. So I came into this class, and we had to listen to lectures for a while, and we had to prepare our first speech. And I got ready to give my speech, and I could not get out of my desk. I got lightheaded. I started to feel like I wasn't even conscious. I finally got up front, and my mouth was all dry. I couldn't think of what to say, and I just rambled incoherently. It was a horrible experience. And I think I could kind of trace it back to when I was in sixth grade. My dad's a pastor, and he took a new call to the Twin Cities. And in sixth grade, I'm trying to figure out, how do I get to know all these kids in the middle school? So I had a brilliant idea. I thought I would run for student council. And then I found out part of the process was giving a campaign speech. So I thought, well, I'll ask my dad. I mean, he preaches every week. He can give me some pointers. And he said, well, what you want to do is you want to write down a bunch of note cards with what you want to say and then get to know those really well and then bring those up and just kind of use them as a guide. So I thought, okay, perfect. So we wrote out my speech. I had my note cards ready to go. We all had to go and sit on chairs up on the stage. And I was so nervous that I shuffled my cards up. 
So when I got up to give my speech, it made no sense at all, and it was the worst first impression of a new kid ever. So I think I was still dealing with that. Well, then I went to seminary, and in seminary, I got placed in a youth director position in Bloomington. And at one point, the pastor was going to be out of town. I said, would you preach at our Saturday service? It was a real small little service. And my parents and my grandparents came to sit in the front row. And what I did is I wrote a manuscript and I never looked up. And then finally, when I looked up, even my parents and grandparents were asleep. I was pretty sure. (laughs) Meanwhile, at seminary, my preaching class, my preaching professor said, don't ever preach more than eight minutes. And some of you are thinking, yeah, why didn't you listen more carefully in your preaching class? So I went on my pastoral internship down to Des Moines, Iowa, to the largest Lutheran church in the country. And I remember our first potluck gathering with our internship committee. And one of the members came up and said, how does it feel to know that soon you're going to be preaching in front of a thousand or thousands of people for 40 minutes? And I'm like, come again? And so I had a date on the calendar, I think it was October, where I was going to give my first message in front of this gigantic church. And it came to that Saturday morning, and I was scared out of my mind, and we had a men's event in Des Moines. It was men from all over the community, hundreds of guys. My internship supervisor was in charge, and at the end of this gathering in the morning, he said, would everybody come around Zach and lay hands on him and pray for him? And pray for him to be filled with the Spirit, because tonight he's going to deliver God's word. And let's pray that God will speak through him in this congregation. And that night I got up and I I preached a 40-minute message. And afterwards, the senior pastor of the church, who I think is one of the best preachers in the country, came up and he put his arm around me and he said, way to go, you can preach your way out of a paper bag. To which I thought that's a really weird thing to say, but I will take it. That's a victory. You see, I knew it was not something I was able to do under my own power. My ability to preach and to teach comes from outside of me. In fact, when I come up to preach, I don't always do it physically, but sometimes I do. I usually take a step, and the stepping out of myself and stepping into the Spirit Because on my own, I will be back in ninth grade, lightheaded, mangling my words. But when I allow God to work through me, then I see my spiritual gift in action. Now, if you are a Christ follower, I think it is vital for you too to discover what your spiritual gifts are. You see, God created us to impact the world for him, to spotlight his grace and his power wherever we go. But way too many believers have no idea how God wants to gift them. You know, it's the equivalent of on Christmas receiving a big, beautiful, decorated gift, you know, a nice bow on top, and and saying, wow, that's such a phenomenal wrapping job. I'm going to put it up on my shelf, and I'm just going to appreciate how well you wrapped that gift. I mean, none of us would do that, right? What do you do? You rip into that gift to see what's inside the box. God promises to give us these amazing gifts, and we need to open them up. Now, some of you here might be able to rattle off your one, two, or three spiritual gifts, and that is awesome. 
But many of you here have never really thought about it. Or maybe you've never been taught about it before. So just briefly, there's a number of ways you can start to determine how God has gifted you through the Spirit. One easy way is to start by examining. Dig into this a little bit. Read through those scriptures I had up on the screen before. There's books. There's an inventory you can take online. Learn as much as you can. Number two, evaluate. What are you especially good at? What do you feel called to? Ask somebody that you trust. Say, how do you see God working in and through me most effectively? And third, and probably most importantly, experiment. Go out and try different ways to serve God. Get involved. Be part of the church. And through that experimenting, you can start to determine how God has gifted you. Peter reminds us at the end of verse 10, he says, use them well to serve one another. You see, knowing your gifts is meaningless if you're not using them. And using your gifts, putting them into practice helps you develop them, helps you grow into them. You see, a spiritual gift isn't always an instant ability. It's a God-given capacity to develop an ability. So just because you have the spiritual gift of leadership doesn't mean you can go and effectively lead thousands of people on day one. Just because you have the gift of teaching doesn't mean you're going to be a rock star teacher on day one. It's a God-given capacity to develop an ability. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes to his mentee, Timothy, And he says, do not neglect the spiritual gift that you received. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into these tasks so that everyone will see your progress. You see, it starts with finding it, and then using it, and then developing it. Find your gift then find ways to use it, and in the process, you will develop it. You'll grow into it. And then look at the end of verse 11. Peter says, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. This is the point. This is what we should be after. The purpose of using our gifts, the purpose of serving God is to bring glory to him. Spiritual gifts are not to create Christian celebrities. It's not to bring glory to yourself. Spiritual gifts are not to compare ourselves with others or to look down on others or to be jealous of others. And they're never to be used selfishly. But when we find our sweet spot where we can use our God-given gifts, for his purpose, that brings him glory and it makes a difference for him. Now, there are so many amazing examples of people using their spiritual gifts here at Calvary. If you think about how every single week we have five different worship services and during Lent we have seven total different worship services every week, And also youth ministry and children's ministry and adult ministry and outreach ministries. 
And it takes hundreds upon hundreds of people using their gifts, gifts of prayer and hospitality and serving and leadership and teaching and giving and helping and evangelizing and wisdom and knowledge and the list goes on. All of these ministries only happen because people are stepping out and using their spiritual gifts. It takes hundreds and hundreds of people to keep this church running and moving forward in the way that God wants us to. So that people in our community have a place to go and hear the good news of Jesus. And so that we can be mobilized out into the community so that people can experience the love of God through us. You see, it's that mission that is the very most important thing that we have. And so I think there's an urgent need for people to use their gifts in the church today. One of the major problems with the church worldwide is not enough people are stepping up and stepping out to use their gifts. Church growth expert Eddie Gibbs once said, the present level of unemployment in this nation pales into insignificance in comparison with that which prevails in the church. The church will never be fully effective until every person plays their part. It makes me think of one of my favorite illustrations that all too often the church is like a football game. There's 22 people on the field in desperate need of a rest and there are thousands of people up in the stands in desperate need of some exercise. We need to be ready for when God calls us to play a vital part in his plans. Are you ready for when God will call you to play a vital part in his plans? On Saturday, November 5th, 2011, at the University of Tennessee, there was a freshman named Derek Brodus, and he was lying on his couch in his frat house. And he was just waiting for the Tennessee Volunteers football game to kick off at 7 p.m. Less than an hour before kickoff, Derek fumbled for his cell phone as it began to ring. Imagine his surprise when the voice on the other end told him the coach was sending a police escort to get him to the stadium immediately. I thought it was a dream, Derek said. I was just lying on my couch relaxing and I answer my phone and they tell me I have to get to the stadium as soon as possible. Because you see, just minutes before that call, Tennessee backup kicker Chip Rome pulled a muscle during pregame warmups and he wouldn't be able to play. The starting kicker had been injured at Thursday's practice and he was also out for the game. So one hour before kickoff and the volunteers were out of kickers. Derek was a freshman, and he had tried out as place kicker for the team when he enrolled at Tennessee, but he didn't make the team. But he kept himself in shape, and he kept on practicing every day. And so on that Saturday, Derek emerged as the volunteers' only option. Volunteers coach Derek Dooley told the press, I said, let's get an APB out on Brodus. Get him here ASAP. Minutes after Derek hung up the phone, the police escort showed up at the frat house to rush him to the stadium. 
the team's trainer was there when he got there in the locker room and helped him stretch out. He got on his pads and a jersey that didn't even have his name on the back. Early in the game, Derek was called into action and he made the most of his opportunity. Throughout the course of the game, he made three extra points and he kicked a field goal. His team won 24 to zero. Back in the locker room after the final whistle, the kicker who began the day lying on his couch eating Doritos was celebrated as a hero. And the team all cheered as the coach handed him the game ball. Church, you never know when God will call upon you to play a vital role in his plans. Are you ready? I think every one of us should embrace as Christians the fact that God has gifted us beyond our imagination. And God wants you to discover your spiritual gifts. And not only that, he wants you to put them into practice and to develop them. And so here's my challenge to each and every one of you here today. Jump in. Start serving somehow, somewhere. And see if this is what God has called you to do. You see, every one of us is called to be a servant. It's our primary identity. And as you serve, be on the lookout for how God is working in and through you and who the people are that he's putting in your path. Then you can make an eternal difference in their life. Imagine how powerful it would be if every person here at Calvary and even people who aren't here today would be able to confidently say, I know my gift and I'm using my gift. If every one of us could say, I know my gift and I'm putting it into practice. Imagine what kind of power and impact that would have on this community. And not only this community, the impact it would have around the world. See, I'm confident that then we would be unstoppable. Amen? Let's pray.